Support for this podcast and the following message come from Crown, publisher of The Demon of Unrest, a saga of hubris, heartbreak, and heroism at the dawn of the Civil War by Eric Larson. The Demon of Unrest is available wherever books and audiobooks are sold. A quick warning, this episode contains sexually explicit content and may not be suitable for all listeners. Hey, hey, you're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Brittany Luce. I don't really prank people, and I'm also never pranked. But regardless, I do love watching pranks. And there's one guy who has been perfecting the prank for years. He makes me laugh and cringe, and his pranks make the viewers and the victims question reality. I'm talking about the prank prince himself, Eric Andre. Ladies and gentlemen, it's the Eric Andre Show! This month, he's dropping the sixth season of The Eric Andre Show. It's a late-night show on Adult Swim that blends together hidden camera pranks and celebrity interviews that are also kind of pranks. Ah, uh, ladies and gentlemen, you know I'm from the Jersey Shore, Polly D! Where most of the time, it seems like the celebrity's publicist did not tell them what show they were going on. Your mom is Paula Dean. Who said that? That's what it says in my notes. They must have mentioned the book. Oh, I don't know. Who told you that? I mean, it's a typo. I don't know, dude. Paula Dean, Paula D. Paula D, Paula D. Fantastic. Huh? I'm not sure I'd want to run into Eric Andre in the middle of his antics, but he is a delight nonetheless. Today on the show, we get into his philosophy on jokes and a game of Would You Rather. Eric Andre, welcome to It's Been a Minute. Thank you. Thank you so much. So, on the topic of Sexy Season 6, I want to know, what's the prank yes. you're most proud of this season? Did you see the one where the giant bug came out, the lady I came in as an exterminator? Yes! Yes! <laughs> well, you say giant bug. It was like a person in a bug suit. It was a man. It was a, it was a, it was a small man. <laughs> It was a tiny, it was a tiny man. But that woman thought it was a gigantic bug. I'm leaving. What happened? Did you want some? Uh, I mean, because you were playing an exterminator that was coming into her office. <laughs> and like, I mean, yes. you pulled out what, like a little jar of cockroaches? Bugs. I said we found these in the in the bathroom. <laughs> this place has a huge bug problem. She's in this office. She has no idea what's going on. And then uh, a giant bug man burst out of the wall. <laughs> she, yeah, she peed herself. Hey, you want a bug-flavored grass? No, what? All my favorite bugs in one soda. Hakuna Matata, am I right, sister? You have had a range of really great celebrity guests and a range of reactions from them <laughs> to the things that happened yeah. on the show. How, how do you select your guests? Yeah. And, and how do you think about pairing pranks with specific people we have this giant wall with like two three hundred pranks on it and as these celebrities are being booked we assign each prank to each celebrity we try to bring celebs into the studio that have no idea who i am no idea what the show is no idea what adult swim is the less they know the better the more fish out of water hmm. they are I wonder though, like, okay, so like this season you have Jaleel White who played Steve Urkel as a yes. guest. 
with yes. a gag yes. where every item on set could expel bodily fluids. You know what? You can jerk off anything on the set to completion. What? Like, look. This is not oh, God, yeah. Crazy. <laughs> every, every single thing on the set. Look at this one. Why was he the guest for that? He, uh, you know what? I don't know. I wouldn't say like he was the perfect guest to watch me jerk off lamps. (laughs) (laughs) But like I had a feeling that he was going to have an interesting reaction to that action. And he did. He absolutely did. Oh, man. You're good. This is a different kind of show, man. You said it just now. I've seen you say in other interviews that you bring people in. You try to bring them in without any knowledge of, like, who you are, what the show is, that they're completely surprised. Yes. How do you accomplish that? How do you even reach out and get bookings without them knowing what show they're coming on? Well, some people we catch while they're on, like, a press tour Mm -hmm. already, and you, you don't lie. You just bend, bend, bend as much of the truth as you can. You say, we're doing a show for Turner Networks, and it's this popular talk show. It has a, millions of viewers. We love you. We'd love to have you on. And while you're doing your press tour, come on by. And you'd be surprised at how many people say yes to that. I didn't lie. You didn't lie. I I mean, you perhaps omitted a couple of things, but you didn't lie. I omitted some information. But I, you know, hey. It works. You could could prank me very easily right now. That's a really good point. You did say yes. I'm a sitting sitting duck. It's a missed opportunity if you don't prank me by the end of this interview. There's something almost like self-flagellating about your comedy that I'm interested in, like it, and like you will like sometimes manipulate your body and your appearance ahead of filming. You know, there's season, yeah. you know, where you lost weight. Season you gained weight, self tanned, shaved all your body hair off. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I've read that for another season, you stopped showering for a year, which I might add is something that a viewer wouldn't know. Yes, but the guest sure did. <laughs> I don't even I I I don't even really know how I would react actually if I came into like a studio. When Amber Rose came on season four, I think I give her a big hug and she goes, You need to get washed, bro. What's your phone number? Um <clears throat> You got a boyfriend? No. Well, you single and you ready to mingle? <laughs> you gotta get washed, bro. No. <laughs> But like you need to get washed, bro. It's the best. I mean, I, the, the there's such a big, there's such a big gap between like the setup of not showering for a very long time and the payoff of someone like Ambrose saying that to you. I yeah. wonder, like, what's behind the impulse to almost torture your body into something different? My acting teacher said, "You are climbing a mountain. You have to be exceptional, or people aren't going to watch." You're in competition with everyone on TV, athletes, not just other comedians and actors, but musicians and athletes and politicians and other psychopaths. So she's like, you have to be excellent. It has to be extreme and obsessive. 
So I just wanted to re that that season. I grew my fingernails out all long and jagged. <laughs> this season I got ripped. So I was like working out 90 minutes in the morning. I had a little janky gym set up on the side of the stage. I was constantly oh working gosh. out, no carbs. I lost like 40 oh pounds gosh. and I was like working with three different trainers. I was drinking pre-workout all the time too. I was so caffeinated. I wasn't That's sleeping. what's in pre-workout is caffeine? Yeah. It's crazy. That stuff, that stuff should be illegal. It's like crystal meth. It's insane. I want to talk more about your approach. You've been doing this for over a decade. What is your philosophy of pranking? And how or do you feel like it's been refined over the years? Yeah, I think that it should never feel mean-spirited. In general, when I pranked Alex Jones, all bets are off. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or if Sasha Baron Cohen pranks Mike Pence, all bets are off. But that's not punching down, obviously. That's like sticking it to the man. So it's developed a lot since Kitao, Sakurai, and I started in like a abandoned bodega in Bushwick with like one camera and one microphone. And it took a, Jeff Tremaine mentoring us. He's like, the comedy's coming from you and the fact that you're like generating a comedic mm-hmm. situation and you're saying bizarre stuff. But he's like, the people you're pranking are the stars of the show and they're going to get the biggest laugh. So really like give space for them to have a rebuttal and talk. And I used to just like burst into a scene and just say, blah, 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 and say a bunch of word salad and then like rush out and like leave on them just jaw dropped. But he's like, them jaw dropped is just the beginning of their potential. He's like, you should really kind of lean into and then see what they have to say. I think letting the people we prank talk a little bit more and getting a little more out of them. I used to just think all you had to do was like burst out of a box or some object and have them scream. But uh, you want to settle into their point of view as much as you want to settle into my point of view. It just makes it more rich. It makes it more interesting. It makes them feel more comedic and heroic because they're dealing with a lunatic. I want to take a picture. You want to take a picture of the gorilla? Face yeah, to face. Girl. Would she go in there for you? No. Exactly. So why are you going on there for her? I'm trying to get her to be my girlfriend. She's not your girlfriend? No. So we let the pranks play out a little bit longer. Hmm. Hmm. Comedy's changed a lot since the Eric Andre show started. And it feels like comedy in general is kind of catching up to where you've been for a while. And obviously, Jeff Tremaine, your show is influenced by things like Jackass. But there's definitely like a benevolent streak to your work. Do you feel like you're seeing your sons out in the world now? Because I feel like the the vein of comedy that dominates both the sketches in studio and out in the world, I feel like I see so many things, like even on TikTok – or other comedy yeah. shows now that like take that same approach. Like, why do you think people are attaching to this vein of comedy right now? I don't know. I don't know. It's high stakes. I also, it also feels like America's like falling apart <laughs> <laughs> a lot of times. So I think like the chaos of this kind of comedy speaks to the feeling of late stage capitalism. What you just said about like how it kind of feels like America's falling apart. We've been having a conversation on our team about like cringe, about how like cringe comedy is becoming it just feels really dominant right now. And one of the tenets of cringe that one of our producers Corey Antonio came up with was that it requires like social violation. 
I feel like a lot of what your work does is violate social norms. And I feel like that, like the loss of norms is politically in the public sphere in America is like obviously a signal at some other type of rot. That feels connected. There's just no norms anymore. Yeah. And I think that stuff's like playing in the background, but it's whenever looking at pranks too academically, I'd like to say that the writer's room is like the smartest friends I have trying to come up with the dumbest third grade jokes they possibly get squeezed out of their brain. So it's really, I'm like trying, and I'm doing that because I'm trying to like access their id and their childlike sensibilities because uh, it's interesting to see what's in like the part of the brain they forget to access sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but yeah, I think all that stuff is happening in the background and the foreground. And a lot of your pranks, you're playing with like authority and uniform. Yeah. You it's high stakes. <laughs> high stakes. I love being a cop in a bit. I was going to say, I mean, you've been... Because you do anything out of the norm. It's, it's very easy to like get out of the norm of a cop and you have authority in the, in the scene. There's one this season where I'm feeding a, a half dead cop donuts and milking him. I don't know what that, what, what I can say on NPR. I'm milking his glands <laughs> to bring him back to life. <laughs> <This cop's glands. laughs> I'm trying to say like the NPR friendly version of jerking off. That sounds way worse <laughs> saying I'm milking a man's glands. I mean, there's, a, there's another prank in this. You know, I'm not always the cop. I think that was my yeah. point to that story. I'm not always the cop in the, in the prank. Sometimes I'm I'm jerking off. Sometimes. <laughs> it's one or the other. But, I mean, it seems like questions of authority and who has it and why come up a lot in your comedy. Are you, are you trying to make a commentary about that with your pranks? It, it's in the eye of the beholder. It's in the ear of the behearer. It's on the, each audience to have their own reaction and takeaway. Hmm. I also want to touch on your lawsuit against Clayton County Police in sure. Georgia for racial profiling. Sure. I mean, we don't have to go too deep into it, but... Let's I, dive. Let's dive. All right, well, I, I your, wonder... Put on your swim cap. <laughs> I, I, I wonder, though, like... Yeah. So much of your comedy is about you, your performance, your presence, but... Also playing with these themes around authority. And you had this big conflict last year where you sued Georgia's Clayton County Police Department for racially profiling you at the airport. And I wonder, like, how are you thinking about themes of authority? Or even performing as a cop or performing alongside somebody who's performing as a cop? Like, how do you think about those things differently now? I think about them the same way. I was raised by activists. My mom marched on Washington. She saw Martin Luther King Mm -hmm. Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech when she was 18 years old. And my sister's an activist. I think it seemed out of character for people that don't Mm -hmm. know me personally to lob a lawsuit about racial discrimination at a a police force. But I um, grew up like that's what you do. I feel like I'm the same guy I was before that happened and, and after that happened and I'm the same comedian. Mm, so it's like always been a part of your comedy, whether or not people yeah. thought about it that way. Yeah. Every comedian has a distinct point of view and having a distinct point of view means having a political point of view. Even if they're not a political comic, 
I don't think there's any such thing as an apolitical comic. There's comics that don't talk a tremendous lot about politics. And when people say politics, they think of like the current fight between the Democrats like electoral and Republicans politics. on a federal level. Yeah, but like there's politics expands beyond that. So it's all intertwined. I don't think it's like I just picked my head up one day and I was like, I'm going to be the next Stokey Carmichael. <laughs> I don't know if anybody <laughs> felt that. <laughs> and everybody else thought it, man. Do you have time for like a very fast game? Sure. You do? Okay. Russian roulette. <laughs> I play American roulette. A bullet in every chamber, sister. <laughs> All right. Is that the game you're talking about? It's a little different. It's a little different. Okay. Coming up, Eric, Andre, and I play Would You Rather. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Discover. Here's a familiar situation. You have a question about your credit card. You call the number for help and can't get a hold of anyone. If only you had a Discover card. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. A real person. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This message comes from NPR sponsor FX, presenting Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill, FX is Clipped, now streaming only on Hulu. When voters talk during an election season, we listen. We ask questions, we follow up, and we bring you along to hear what we learned. Get closer to the issues, the people, and your vote at the NPR Elections Hub. Visit npr.org slash elections. We are going to play a game of Would You Rather Prank Edition, where you get to choose between two people and two distinct places and you have to pick who you'd rather prank. Are you ready? Okay. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yes. So would you rather play a prank on Elon Musk on a SpaceX spaceship or Kanye West at a Yeezy fashion show? Gosh, can I pick both? Well, Kanye, I would I would pull it off and get the footage back. There's weird laws. We almost pranked Mike Pence. We had access to Air Force Two when we were doing the RNC. What? And our lawyer, he was like, absolutely not. Do not get anyone on that plane, none of your crew. He goes, only federal laws apply up in that right. airspace. And you guys could be in jail for 40 years. So like intergalactic law could like, prevent you from effectively. I know, yeah, I don't know intergalactic law. Yeah. And yeah. also like what if he could also keep you, like, keep you in space and you just never come back. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Fair yeah. What, 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 do you, what would you do to – Prank him at an easy show. Gosh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's a little bit like he'd be so easy to prank. I mean, ev with every turn, I would just make up a bunch of fake quotes that he never said 
and just be like, yeah, you said all, all this stuff. You said poo poo pee pee. Kind of, you said that. I mean, he kind he, of did he, say poo poo pee pee. You should have had. But you good. mean you could walk in the show? That's good. You could cut up all the clothes, cover them in paint. Oh, you have a bit written for me. Oh my god, I didn't have a bit. I just was like, oh, what would be fun? Okay, you get in the you come on in the writers room. <laughs> yeah, I could cut. I could cut up. Yeah, I mean, it'd be you could really do anything. You could put. Um, you know, rat trap glue. You could put rat trap glue all oh on the runway, God. so all the he gets all stuck and caught up in the rat trap glue. So. You tell him that like the toughest critic, the toughest fashion critic in town, is front row, and she's just folding her arms <laughs> and giving him the thumbs down the whole show and <laughs> holding her nose like he stinks. I have okay. I, I, the next scenario that I have is actually features a, a scenario that sounds juicy but absolutely terrifying for me. Would you rather prank Beyonce and Jay-Z in an elevator or Taylor Swift at the VMAs? Oof. Well, the fact that it's at the VMAs, Kanye already kind of pranked her at the VMAs. <laughs> check, check. <laughs> Jay-Z and Beyonce, they seem too sweet to prank. I met them at the Lion King premiere and they were like, they were too like sweet, like Beyonce's hand. It was like the softest handshake I ever Shook. Taylor Swift seems like she'd get pissed. She, I think she'd be better. Mm, mm. She pranked ticket. She pranked Ticketmaster. I think. <laughs> Ticketmaster <laughs> ticket is pranking she's, me actually. <laughs> she, yeah, she's a bit of a prankster herself. So go ahead, Taylor Swift. I think she'd have a good. I think she'd have a little fire in her. Okay, last one. Would you rather prank Oprah? while she's gardening at her estate in Santa Barbara, mm. or The Rock while he's doing chest day at a private gym in Hollywood? Oprah. I'd have to do Oprah. You wouldn't be afraid to prank Oprah. I just feel like Oprah's so connected. I just feel like federal law. Yeah, I would risk federal law and assassination to prank Oprah. How would you prank Oprah? She's gardening, and I, I'm under the dirt, and I pop out of the soil <laughs> like a decomposed <laughs> zombie, like a cadaver. And I was like, this is my tombstone. And my family comes in. They start crying and mourning me. You brought him back to that life. That came to you so quickly. I'm like, have you thought about this yeah. one before? Yeah. Well, I didn't. I wasn't ready for the first two. So I was like, okay, I got I to gotta write. I got to write these on the fly. <laughs> <laughs> but Oprah, you prank Oprah. You're, you're, the, you're the king of pranks for life. Mm, that's true. That's 150% true. Oh, well. Thank you so much. King of jokes, Eric Andre. It was a pleasure to have you today. Thank you. That was Eric Andre. The sixth season of The Eric Andre Show is out now. This episode of It's Been a Minute was produced by Barton Girdwood, Liam McBain. Our editor is Jessica Placzek. All right. That's all for this episode of It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Brittany Luce. Talk soon. This message comes from NPR sponsor FX, presenting Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill, FX's Clipped, now streaming only on Hulu.
This message comes from NPR sponsor, Discover. Get the service you deserve. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is my voice. I can tell you a lot about me, and I'm not changing it for anyone. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of NPR episodes centered on Black experiences. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts. 